The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. I'm delighted we have Neil Hannon with us for the Culture Club. It's been a long time since he was last with us when he was in during one of his albums with the Duckworth Lewis Method when he was in with Thomas Walsh with us. But of course, he's best known to many of you from his work with the Divine Comedy. And there's a new best of collection, Charmed Life, out. So let's just recall one of the songs from that. This is Songs of Love. Pale cubescent beasts run through the streets and coffee shops. Their prey gather in herds, the stiff kneeling skirts and white ankle socks. But while they search for a mate, my type hibernate in bedrooms above, composing their songs of love. Young uniform lines in uniform lines and uniform ties. Songs of Love and Neil Hannon I'm sure there are many listeners saying that sounds familiar where do I know that tune from? Yes from a a little known sitcom called Father Ted uh, for for which I took a slightly uh, a borderlerized version of the theme yeah I hope you're still on royalties for every time that Father Ted gets repeated on the television and that theme tune goes out I hope I am too, but I'm not sure I am. I, I don't know. I think uh, they. Uh, it was the first thing I did that wasn't, you know, just straightforward pop music. And uh, I have no idea what the contract said. My manager will know. I'm going to ask her straight after this. <laughs> <laughs> you've embraced the Father Ted thing as well, though, haven't you? Even with the, the name of the charity that you've set up. Yes, although I can't take credit for that. Um, I was taking credit for the fact that, um, you know, it was called My Lovely Horse Rescue. Um, but then uh, Kathy disabused me of the notion that I had come up with that idea even. So, you know, I do nothing. <laughs> I just see lots of lovely animals out my window and uh, occasionally pet a pig. Okay. My Lovely Horse, of course, was one of the famous Eurovision entry in Father Ted, which you also wrote as well as the theme tune. Indeed. Yeah. Um classic episode i can't take credit for that but uh yeah the uh and um graham and arthur wrote the the words uh which i set to music um uh it's extraordinary really you know even now 20 however many years later virtually every gig i do there is someone at some point shouts my lovely horse from the back of the theater uh you know whether i for them <laughs> well, only I think I generally only do it if there's a technical fault, you know, because <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know I don't I don't want it to become as as a fixture of the set. It's only about one minute and fifteen seconds long, anyway. It doesn't cover much ground. You have an enormous amount of material at this stage. I didn't realize, although I suppose it stands to reason, that the Divine Comedy is over thirty years old at this stage. Yes, and I'm 20 years older than the Divine Comedy, <laughs> so you know, um, you do the math. I, I uh, I've 
made a few records. Uh, it, the best of was quite hard to put together, uh, but um, you know, it's great. It's great to be in that rather tricky position. It's when a football manager has you know a, a hard time putting his uh, best eleven on the pitch. It's because he's got a lot of good players. So. Um, uh, you know, I'm 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 a very lucky boy to still be doing this after so long. But you've also branched out because it's fascinating. I mentioned the fact that you've done the Duckworth Lewis method as well, a couple of albums there. But you've also done opera and writing as well for cinema. Tell us a little bit about those. Um, well, I did. Uh, I, I've done a few sort of theatre pieces now. Um, Swallows and Amazons and a thing called In May and. And I, I, I mean, you know, there, there's getting to be quite a few of them. Uh, the most recent of which uh, was my foray, my foray into Hollywood cinema, uh, with the new Wonka film, um, which I was delighted to be asked uh, to write some songs for, and that's coming out next year. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I, I did try to diversify a bit, um, you know, a couple of decades back, and uh, to my surprise, it has worked. It's a whole different thing, though, presumably, is a writing for the movies rather than writing songs for performance at live venues or for, for albums. Well, the main is difference it? is, uh, it, the difference really is, Matt, that, uh, you know, for theatre and film and things, other people have an opinion and you have to take on board their opinion. And if they don't like it, you have to do it again. <laughs> and... Um, you know, that is not something I, I'd experienced uh, up until, you know, my first uh, time doing it. I, I'd always just been a law unto myself. I, I wrote the songs that I wanted to hear and play. Uh, so, you know, when you're on your fourth version of a song for a scene, uh, it becomes a little grating. But, you know, they, they know what's best for them. And they're also paying for it. Do you actually get to see yeah. the cut, though, before you write the music to accompany it and the songs to accompany it? Uh, every every single thing I've done is different, really. And um, the Wonka thing, uh, no, I, I had to write all the songs before they shot a single scene. Uh, so you do have to use a lot of imagination, really, and um, try and sort of start with the script, but really kind of, go on in your own imagination from there. Well, let's talk about your musical influences for the Culture Club to start with. And I love the first single you've ever bought, although I would suggest you must have been a teenager if your first single was uh, Vienna by Ultravox. Um, it was 1981, I think. Uh, or I might be wrong, it might be 1982, but I would have been 11 or 12. And, okay. uh Born in 70. So I uh, I was massively into synth pop. <laughs> I, that was my first true musical love, really. Um, and I, I I didn't really buy records up until that age. Uh, so I took my pocket money along to uh, I think it was Golden Discs in Belfast on a Christmas shopping trip. And I have to admit, I did buy two singles that day. Vienna being one, and the other one was uh, Queen, Flash. <laughs> uh, not their finest moment, but quite cool, yeah. I think that was written for a movie as well, wasn't it, for the Flash Gordon it was, movie? Flash Gordon, yeah. 
uh, yeah, they rather kind of threw it out, though. It's not really a song at all. It's just a cool piece of music. Although Vienna by Ultravox, which we're about to hear, is an extremely cool piece of music as well. Absolutely. believe we faded that out already just oh, as about to hit its crescendo <laughs> it's a tremendous track and there was a very dramatic video for it at the time as well wasn't there yeah which had a lot to do with its success but um I th- it's hard to believe how odd you know it is there was a lot of very strange music got into the charts back in those days uh it, around the same time uh laurie anderson was number one with those superman which is just art music it's not really a pop song at all uh so uh, i am a child of that sort of golden period of uk uh pop music you know elvis costello and um uh dexy's midnight runners oh god the list is endless very early 80s and from around that time as well i think would be your favorite album which is actually one that coincidentally i streamed only last week kate bush hounds of love Why'd you pick this as your favourite? Well, it's always a toss-up between this and Dare by the Human League, but it depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> and uh, I am in a Hounds of Love mood. It's just absolutely rapturous. And if you listen to Hounds of Love, you will see why I make the music I do. <laughs> it's just like fun, uh, sort of excitement and strings and kind of flights of fancy. Uh it's got some really wonderful tight pop songs on it uh, with great choruses. But, you know, Kate Bush's imagination and voice is second to none. I, I can't think of anybody else who holds a candle to her, really. And this, to me, is her finest moment. And let's hear from that a song I'm sure many people will recognise, Running Up That Hill.
what an imaginative piece of music. There really was nobody like Kate Bush, was there? No, I don't think there has ever been, or, you know, there wasn't up until that point, and there never can be again. And that's the, the sort of epitome of a icon, really. Tell us about a favourite band or artist. You've nominated Scott Walker. I have. Um, to anyone who knows the Divine Comedy, they'll know that I am uh, sort of almost obsessed by Scott Walker. <laughs> uh, he may be sort of rather unknown to a lot of people out there. Uh, he 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 started uh, in the Walker Brothers. Uh, none of the three guys in the Walker Brothers were actually related. Uh, and Scott Walker isn't Scott's real name even. So, but he became a massive pop star in the mid sixties. Uh, they were as big as the Beatles, you know, for a year. And then the band broke up and he did four just in, in insanely beautiful so solo albums in the sixties, which are imaginatively titled Scott one, Scott two, Scott three and Scott four. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of crooning, but there's also a lot of his own songs and a lot of uh, covers of the brilliant Belgian chansonnier Jacques Brel, uh, whose songs like If You Go Away and Jackie uh, have become sort of classics of the genre. Uh, so Scott is sort of most well known for those sort of orchestral moments. Uh, but then he kind of went increasingly sort of art house as t as the decades went by, up until sort of the 90s and the 2000s, when he made some of the most wonderfully dark and unlistenable albums you'll ever care to hear. <laughs> uh, which, you know, they're not really my cup of tea. My, mine is the massive orchestral pop. But uh, I just love the fact that he did them. Let's hear, though, one of the tracks that you mentioned from his earlier work. Let's hear a little bit of Jackie. And if one day I should become a singer with a Spanish bum who sings for women of great virtue, I'd sing to them with a guitar I borrowed from a coffee bar. Well, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. My name would be Antonio, and all my bridges I would burn. And when I gave them some, they'd know I'd expect something in return. I'd have to get drunk every night and talk about virility with some old grandmama who might be decked out like a Christmas tree. And the pink elephants I'd see, though I'd be drunk as I could be, still I would sing my song to me about the time they called me Shaggy. If I could be for only an hour, if I could be for an hour every day, if I could oh, be Oh, that's great. For two things, Neil Hannon, immediately Sorry. jump out at <laughs> me on that, is that, firstly, I can see the influence uh, on your music from that but also that'd be great music for a cowboy movie as well <laughs> oh yeah you gotta love the sort of um, I especially love the dum diddle-lump diddle-lump rhythm uh, you know I, I nicked that for various of my songs uh, Tonight We Fly Something for the Weekend uh, and I love the, the the soaring strings and the drama of it all you know I just love melodrama basically <laughs> Excellent choice. I know, best gig you were at 
uh, you've gone for one at the Limelight in Belfast in May 1990, Ride. Yeah, um, I became an indie kid basically in the mid-80s and, you know, didn't buy anything but Smiths and Pixies and My Bloody Valentine, uh, Slow Dives, Happy Mondays. Oh, you know, you know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, the band that really hit me between the eyes with their just incredible noise was Ride, a four-piece from Oxford. They didn't go on to be as big as everyone expected them to be. Um, but their, their influence has been lasting, actually. And um, I went to see them as, you know, a just absolutely obsessed indie kid in 1990 down to Belfast with my friends. And it's a quite a small venue. And it was so hot and it was so just intense, the feeling. It was like the first really sort of like moving uh, experience in a gig. That, and you always think that the first time you were moved in a gig is basically the best gig you've ever been to. It'll, it'll just sort of be with you forever. And that's the way I felt at that gig. We don't have audio from that particular gig, but we do have... Uh, ride singing Taste from a 1992 concert in the Brixton Academy. Okay, that's right. Neil Hannan's choice of favourite concert. We've lots more from Neil Hannan in the Culture Club when we come back after this quick break. Welcome back here to Last Word on Today FM. And today we're joined for the Culture Club by Neil Hannan from the Divine Comedy. New best of collection, Charmed Life is out now, but we're going to move away from music and we're going to talk about books and movies and television and other issues. Actually, let's start with movie. You've nominated A Room with a View as your favourite movie. Yes. Um, it's the most romantic thing uh, and the, one of the funniest things in existence. Um, I saw it, you know, when I was uh, 18, 19, and I don't think I'd ever seen anything up to that point that really kind of, uh, you know, sort of nailed my aesthetics and I loved it so much. Uh, and I, it's the only film that I can rewatch sort of every year or two. And I, I know every line in the film. If I was, if I ever sort of was uh, stranded on a desert Island, I could probably write the entire script from start to finish, uh, given enough time. <laughs> uh, Yes, observe That's my That's a degree foresight. of obsessiveness. Well, tell <laughs> I you... never venture forth without my Macintosh squares. One never knows when one may have to sit on damp ground or cold marble. Sorry, I could go on, but I won't. Well, we're actually going to play a clip from the movie Helena Bonham Carter and Daniel Day-Lewis. Don't move. Stay where you are. Ginevra de Benci. Did you know you were a Leonardo? 
smiling at things beyond our ken. Cecil, what's this about Sir Harry's new tenants? Yes, I, even I, have found him tenants for his sissy villa. I've won a great victory for the comic muse. Cecil, after all the trouble I took over the Miss Allens. Well, of course I prefer to have nice friends of yours. <laughs> friends of mine, Lucy, the whole joke is to come. They're absolute strangers whom I happen to meet in the National Gallery. They had been to Italy, a father and a son, the oddest couple. In the course of conversazione, they said they wanted a country cottage, and did I know of one? A simple burrow they could call their own, where they could smell the earth. That's early <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis, isn't it, Neil? Yes, uh, it was only years after that I even realised, oh yes, that's Daniel Day-Lewis in, you know, one of his earliest parts. Uh, but, it, you know, it's a Merchant Ivory film, so it's absolutely gorgeous. It's beautifully shot, beautifully cast, uh, beautifully scripted. And uh, there's, it's one of those things that, you know, it might not be the most sort of uh, difficult uh useful film on the planet but it is definitely one of the most perfectly put together of course it's a movie of the novel by E.M. Forster and you've picked him as your favourite author and one of his books as your favourite book yes I'm uh, something of a Forster obsessive Um, I have chosen uh, Howard's End mostly because I didn't want to choose A Room with a View twice (laughs) okay Um, uh, and but I liked all of his books Equally, you know, A Room with a View, Howard's End, Passage to India, uh, The Longest Journey. They're all fabulous. And there's something about his writing that just works for me. His sort of, he's very sort of caustic about, you know, middle class manners around in the Edwardian period. But he also kind of really has a feeling for people and their, their, their their goodness their innate goodness even the even the baddies in Forster are kind of just flawed individuals who are trying to do the right thing uh so yeah it resonates for me we have a clip from the audiobook of Har's End this is narrated by Edward Petherbridge in this scene Helen writes a letter to her sister while staying with the Wilcox family the air here is delicious later on I heard the noise of croquet balls and looked out again, and it was Charles Wilcox practising. They are keen on all games. Presently, he started sneezing and had to stop. Then I heard more clicketing, and it is Mr Wilcox practising, and then a tissue, a tissue, he has to stop too. Then Evie comes out and does some calisthenic exercises on a machine that is tacked to a green-gauge tree. They put everything to use. And then she says, a tissue, and in she goes. And finally, Mrs. Wilcox reappears, trail, trail, still smelling hay and looking at the flowers. I inflict all this on you, because once you've said that life is sometimes life, and sometimes only a drama, and one must learn to distinguish t'other from which, and up to now I have always put that down as Meg's clever nonsense. But this morning it really does seem not life, but a play. And it did amuse me enormously to watch the W's. <laughs> You clearly enjoyed that. Okay, move oh, on I, to... I've got to get that right now and listen to it again. Move on to plays or musicals or theatre, which I guess you probably do like watching. You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? But uh, actually, that's probably my least favourite of the arts. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I think I have a slight problem with uh, you know theatre in general 
the fact that these people are up there on the stage and you know, sort of pretending to be people they're not. Uh, but I, I, I do like it. It's just not as sort of uh, fun for me. Um, the importance of being earnest, well, it's Oscar Wilde, so it's tremendously witty, tremendously sort of seething <laughs> about uh, sort of, uh, you know, late Victorian manners. And uh, just uh, gorgeous. I mean, I, I think I chose this primarily because the Anthony Asquith film version from the 40s was on the telly the other day, and I watched it through, and I laughed out loud so often. You, you kind of don't uh, imagine that's going to happen with a, a play that's, you know, 130 years old. Um, but it's hilarious. It's just brilliant. So for television, for adult choice, we'll get to your childhood influences in a moment. But you've gone for a comedy. You haven't gone for Father Ted, but I'd imagine you've had many laugh-out-loud moments watching Frasier. Yes. Uh, Frasier is my rock. My, you know, It's the thing that I always come back to. It's my comfort viewing, basically, um, because it's so cleverly written and so wonderfully acted. Um, I... I loved it so much that I chose it as my specialized subject when I was on Mastermind, the, the celebrity version, where the questions are easier. And uh, I did quite well on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, what can I say about Frasier? Well, actually, from... tell you what, t think about what you're going to say. I'm going to play a clip from season 10, because it did go on for a long time, episode 20, in which Frasier, played, of course, by Kelsey Grammer, orders a coffee. I'm hashing over an ethical dilemma, so I think I could use some black coffee. What size would you like? Uh, I've got a lot to ponder, so I, I think a large. I'm afraid we don't have large, sir. We have piccolo, macho, mucho, and mucho macho. <laughs> I see. Uh, do you happen to know what size would correspond to a nervosa grande? No, but our mucho is about the same as the semi-colossal over at Don't Spill the Beans. Ah, ah, all right. I know that their colossal is comparable to a nervosa grande, so the semi-colossal would be three-quarters of a colossal, so the mucho and the semi-colossal would be equivalent, so I should have the, the mucho macho, but only fill it five-eighths. Yes, sir. For 50 cents extra, we can preheat the vessel. No. Can we just move this along, please? I understand completely. Your zip code, sir? You don't have to give your real zip if you don't want to. Then what's the point? Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> that's late period, Fraser. Yes, when, when there's a change of management at Nervosa and it all goes wrong. Um, the, the characters are splendid. You know, Daphne, Martin, Eddie, Roz. And obviously, Frasier himself is splendid, but uh, my favorite has always been Niles, uh, excellently played by David Hyde Pierce. And he, he actually has probably the funniest lines of any of them. I would direct people, if I had to direct them, to uh, Three Valentines, which, which is a virtually uh, silent uh, sort of piece de, de no, <laughs> a creme de la creme of Niles' action. Yes, Three Valentines. Go watch it. It's brilliant. Okay, childhood. What did you watch when you were growing up? What do you remember? Um, I mostly remember uh, 
obviously it's all BBC. I grew up in the north and I, I, I was sort of a child of the beep. Uh, I loved Mr. Ben primarily. It was my favorite show. It was, uh, there's only like what 10 What was that? Episodes. Actually, I'm not familiar with it. What was it? You're not familiar with Mr. Ben. Wow. Never right. heard of it. <laughs> well, it's funny because it's uh, in the style of King Rollo or uh, Ivor the Engine, those kind of very, uh, you know, naively animated uh kids programs from the 60s and 70s and uh, mr ben he's a, a banker he, he's just a little guy in bowler hat and a briefcase and he goes into this shop a draper's shop a costume shop and the costume that he puts on when he goes into the changing room he disappears into the world that the costume represents like a knight's costume or a spaceman's costume uh, and it, it's weird how that appealed to me so much as a child, and I feel like I've sort of taken it on uh, rather in later life. You know, I do like a good costume. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to finish, Neil Hannon, favorite podcast? You've nominated Pod Save America. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, after everything I've I've told you, uh, it's all kind of very witty and funny and uh, sort of. Dra dramatic. Well, Pod Save America is my other great love, which is politics, basically, American or UK. And uh, I, I guess when it was when Trump got in, actually, that I started listening to it. And uh, these four uh, brilliant kind of guys who used to work for the Obama White House in various capacities, mostly speech writing. Uh, you know, they just talk about the politics of the the last few days in America, and you know, all from very much a, a Democrat uh, point of view. But it is truly fascinating, and it's it's been amazing to sort of watch the decline of American democracy through through their eyes. Uh, sort of very dramatic when it came to you know the last election, certainly. Unfortunately, we don't have time to play a little clip from Pod Save America because we're out of time. But Neil Hannon, thank you very much for going through all your choices here on the Culture Club and the last word today, FM. And I'm sure there's going to be loads of people who are going to enjoy Charmed Life, uh, the new best of collection from the Divine Comedy. Neil, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Cheers. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today, FM.